You've read the books. You've learned the rules. You've played the games. And so is your mom. Just making sure you're paying attention. Now, it's time for something completely off base. From the same guys who haven't done anything exciting yet are the Paladins of Podcast, Rob and Potato. Listen in as they talk about all things related to pen and paper games, challenge rules, and go off script. This is the high fantasy commentary you didn't ask for, but your mom did. (laughs) This is the Epic Table Audio Show. What's up, everybody, to another episode of the Epic Table Games Audio Show, starring the po- the Paladins of Podcasts, Robin Potato. What is up, Potato? Uh, it's 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 going. I'm all right. Still still hey. kicking it. Yeah, you took a took a week off work, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I'm, I'm feeling better though. I'm ready to go work on Monday. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This isn't a complaint about work podcast. This is a tabletop RPG podcast. Yes, it is, man. What's on the docket this episode? Well, I wanted to do a little bit of follow up with what we talked about last week because I finally got the books in that I've been looking for. Uh, I know that we talked a little bit about Blades in the Dark and Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Yes, that's right. And I want to start with Lamentations of the Flame Princess because... It's a little easier to follow along because it's something I'm a, quite a bit more familiar with. And a few key notes here. I mean, the book is a little larger than a 5 by 7 photograph. Oh, all right. It, it, it is approximately 170 pages long from cover to cover. So it'd be a very uh, easy read. Yeah, it's not bad. And it has... Like right inside the front cover, it's got a price list for standard equipment. Um, And on the very back cover, it's got rules for your encumbrances and mount saving throws, attack bonuses, etc. So kind of like your DM screen is right on the front and back covers. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really neat. Um, A few general comments about the book. Its art style is interesting. It's really cool. Uh, the majority of the book is black and white. There is like very old school novels, uh, four or five colored pages right in the middle of the book. Oh, that's cool. I like that. It's, yeah, it's definitely neat. Um, some of the artwork is 100% X rated. <laughs> it, it's so, realism. <laughs> yeah, that's what you want to say. Um, <laughs> it's It's not bad, though. The illustrations are pretty cool. Uh, I was looking at the classes, and the classes are also interesting because you have cleric, fighter, magic user, which is not wizard or sorcerer. It is simply magic user. It's specialist. vague. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely vague. Um, specialist, which, because we're from a more modern style of game, when we think of specialists, we think of kind of like level 20 NPCs. Yeah, someone built for one specific thing. Right. And they also have dwarfs, elves, and halflings listed as classes. Which is Right, because the majority is that you're human. Right. 
Right. That's definitely so, an interesting way to make that happen. Yeah, it's it's definitely not bad. It's it's kind of neat. And right off the bat, the book talks about character creation. And the super interesting thing here is that um, because you're familiar with the Pathfinder games and even some of the later Dungeons and Dragons games, um, your ability scores are usually done with 4d6s, drop the lowest, um, kind of arrange how you want them. Definitely ways to make hero characters. Right, or, or like the point by system. Yeah, and the um, the limitations of the Flame Princess doesn't do that. They go hardcore mode. It is 3d6, and you roll your stats in order. Oh, man. So you, you should probably roll your stats and then determine what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really one of the first things that you do. And it's they got a small summary, too. And this is funny. It says in the summary, one, roll ability scores. A, note your bonuses, because each ability score range has a bonus modifier attached to it. Right. And then it says, is the character suitable? So <laughs> it's basically saying... Yeah, you're probably not going to get the best rolls out of this. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. like that. <laughs> it's it's not bad. Um, so it, it gives you, just like most standard games, a, uh, a quick brief recap of what each of the stats do, what they're for. Um, determining hit points is also a little bit different. Each class has minimum hit points. Oh. Yeah, so randomly determine the character's starting hit points according to his level chart. Add the character's constitution modifier. First level characters have a minimum number of hit points they possess. So if they roll the amount is less than the indicated number on the chart, simply use the number on the chart instead. So whereas we're used to at least maximum hit points at first level, this says you at least get minimum hit points. So it definitely feels like the gameplay is meant to be a bit more hardcore and you might easily die. Right. Right. And it's a game set up where just like your attack bonuses and more modern games, I like to say, I say modern games, which is kind of a, uh, a, a little bit of a fallacy here because the limitations of the flame princess, I believe was originally published in 2013. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's not an old game. So when I say modern, I really just mean um, more advanced editions of the uh, the two big popular games. Um, right. Yeah, so that, that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things. And as you go through the book, you'll look at it. There's a lot of different neat things like saving throws. And it looks like you have saving throws against paralyzed poisons, breath weapons or breath. It just says breath. Devices and magic. And each oh, of those are like that's it? Yeah. Yeah. And seems it seems very easy to wrap your head around if you're a new player too. I like that. A little bit. There's definitely a lot less rules. Um one of the interesting things that might be a little upsetting to some people who are more familiar with the two other large games, Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder is that depending on the class that you choose, your experience to level up varies. Really? 
yeah. So you could be, for example, a fighter. Well, I'll use a cleric first because it comes up first. To get to level two, you only need 1750 experience. But as a fighter, you need 2000 experience to get to level two. Huh. And yeah. does, it, does it say what reasoning that is? Uh, th there might be somewhere, but that's that goes a little bit farther than game mechanics. Like I, so, I have to say, that's an interesting, interesting little rule set there. But I'm yeah curious to how that's going to balance out for uh, a party of one class each person sort of deal. Who's going to level oh. up first, and who's going to become stronger, and this and that. Hey, remember, it, it's in. Its intent is to be deadly. Right. So deadly and dangerous. That's really the big thing. Um, it's like the Dark Souls of tabletop RPGs. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I thought, too. And I, I, I like the, uh, the one thing that it's taking me a little bit more to get my head around is how they do um, speed and distance. It's just a little bit different that's all hmm. I don't, yeah i don't remember where the exact rules are but it's different well uh, i have a pet peeve when it comes to distance in uh game mechanics and one of different systems okay I, I feel doing the hex grid or the five foot square grid makes the most sense but you yeah. got some games where you need a tape measure and measure in inches and just move that approximate distance and call it yeah, good. That just really drives popular. me insane. It, it's really popular in a lot of miniature based games. Like, like Warhammer. Warhammer. Yep. It's so it's weird. Really, it's funny that we both described Warhammer, by the way. It's, it's the only thing that comes in my head. I know uh, Elder Scrolls, they, they, they came out with a tabletop RPG where you can play as the Dragonborn or whatever. And that does oh, the, the measuring tape too. It's odd. I don't yeah, like doing it, the measuring tape. It's weird. You know, I could definitely say that it's different, but when you're playing in a, a gridless battlefield system, it's one of the only real ways that you can move characters about. I I know that's why they did it because they, they got the very detailed terrain and got like the inclines and everything else. So, in a way, you can say it's easier for your miniatures to find a good spot, but at that point, might as well just eyeball it and call it good. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, all right, so Blades of the Dark is the other other game that we are waiting to have come in through the mail. Oh, yes, yes. Have you had and a chance to read it? I've had a chance to look through it a little bit. Not as much. I mean, this book is still, it's bigger than the other one. And it's 300 and about 30 pages. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, some quick initial notes. Um, illustrations are decent. It's, they're, they're a lot darker. They're a lot more uh, set up in what feels like a modern scenario. And granted, the setting is way more modern than fantasy, uh, medieval fantasy, anyhow. Oh, so the setting itself is is like what, like nineteenth century? Um, 
In fact, it specifically says it's about a group of daring scoundrels building a criminal enterprise, excuse me, criminal enterprise on the haunted streets of an industrial fantasy city. Oh, that's cool. It's yeah. like uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, or uh, uh, what's that? Oh, oh, what's his name? The the slasher. Oh, oh, brain, brain, brain fart. Oh, I have no idea what you're trying to say. Uh, 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 in London, the Jack the Ripper. There we go. I, I made it. Yeah, I, I made it. <laughs> I guess I could see that. Um, <laughs> so this is different because unlike most systems, this is not a D20 system. Oh, um, it's a six sided die system. Uh, you usually roll multiple six-sided dies at once, and you use the single highest result. Oh, so it's it's kind of like Shadowrun, then, if I'm a little, not mistaken? A little bit. Um, so it's essentially, if you roll a six, it's a full success, and things go well. If you roll more than one six, it's a critical success, and you gain additional advantages. Cool. Um, if the highest die is a four or five, it's a partial success. You do what you're trying to do, but there are consequences. And if you roll a one to three, it's a bad outcome. Things go poorly. You probably didn't achieve your goal and you suffer complications. That makes it very easy. Yeah. And uh, for the DM, yeah, at least. Well, we all know that ease is really one of the key indicators on um, ways to get people into playing different games. Exactly. Um, so the reason I wanted to talk about rolling the dice a little bit first is because a lot of times your judgment calls are semi-collaborative. So the, uh, the bullet points that they have here, and I hate to just sort of present a wall of text to our listeners, but there's really no other way to describe some of this. That's just how it is. It is. And so it says, which actions are reasonable as a solution to a problem? So can this person be swayed? Must we get out the tools and tinker with this old rusty lock? Or could we also uh, could it also be quietly finessed? In this case, the players have the final say. So, players figuring solutions to problems. I agree with that. Not a problem. Yes, hundred um, percent. How dang- how dangerous and effective is a given action in the circumstance? How risky is this? Can the person be swayed very little or a whole lot? The GM has the final say. That makes sense. It's pretty. Standard. That does. Yeah. Um. Which consequences are inflicted to manifest the dangers in a given circumstance? So does this fall from the roof, break your leg? Do the blue coats merely become suspicious or do they already have you trapped? Again, GM has the final say. Yes, indeed. That makes sense. Um, Does this solution call for a dice roll and which one? Is your scoundrel in a position to make an action? Yeah, make an action roll or must they first make a resistance roll to gain initiative? The GM has the final say. Yeah. So, so far we have a lot, a lot of the regular calls that we're looking for. Um, which events in the story match the experience triggers for characters and crew advancement? Did you express your character's beliefs, drive, heritage, or background? You tell us. The players have the final say. Yeah. So, now th- at the surface, that one seems to be pretty clear, but with the way the game is designed you can justify how you met certain requirements um, for these experience triggers. That, so, that definitely helps for players who want to RP what they've done. Right. That's really cool. Right. 
Um, so I like that. And there, uh, there's really the game structure has three phases. <clears throat> they have the free play. That's character scenes, actions and consequences, gathering information, choosing a target, making a plan. And then you have the engagement role, followed by the uh, next phase score, which is actions and consequences again, flashbacks. And then that leads into downtime, the payoff, the heat entanglements, downtime activities and return to free play. I like that. I like that. It's structured enough for a new player to understand how to play the game. Yes. That's cool. Um, it's very well explained as well. I, I'm digging it. It's not bad. And what I really like about it is that they really put a cinematic uh, styling on this. So the last paragraph talks about during free play, the game's fluid. You can easily skim past several events in a quick montage. Characters can disperse in time and space, doing various things they please. When you shift to the scoring phase, everyone leans forward um, and knows that it's time to focus and get the job done. The camera zooms down into the action. Obstacle to obstacle as each challenge is faced. Oh, heck yeah. That's great. Yeah. So it's definitely very cinematic in the way it's designed. And then um, I haven't quite gotten into the actions and attributes yet. Um, but overall, as I was reading, the game itself is designed to keep you in the city. So there, uh, there are, um, how do you say negative consequences, bad, big, big, bad, negative consequences for leaving the city. And they do that because the goal is to keep everybody in the city to build your criminal empire. Right, right. That's, that's the key objective. Right. Right. Um, I, I'm going to go out to the countryside and farm. No. Right. <laughs> right. Um, on the surface, it very, it very much feels like Grand Theft Auto V and setting up a mission to do a heist. Ex yeah, bank heists. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's cool. Because I was actually was thinking about that the other day. Like, we've never really done a heist in a tabletop RPG setting. At least I haven't yet. It'd be really cool to experience that. Yeah, and it would be it would be a little hard to set up because you have to we're playing with games that their mechanics are really designed to kick in the door and defeat the monster. Right, right. You you have to kind of the players have to force themselves to play in a certain way in order to do the heist. They can't play how you normally would play the game. Right. That's just how it is. But it'd be super cool right. to do it. This this game's uh, this game's rule set feels like it's easier to do than let's say Pathfinder or D and D five e. It's I don't know. It's different. So there's still a learning curve for it. Yeah. Um, which as long as the learning curve isn't huge, it won't be too bad. But I'm still trying to get my grasps with it. It's a bigger like I said, it's a bigger book to go through, and it's new. So trying to figure it out is. Uh, seriously, in all honesty, I haven't really taken the time to read it paid cover to cover yet. Yeah, you just got it, so it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I've had it for a few days, and you know, between life and work, it's eh, it happens. Yeah, it's, it's it's not like our regular Pathfinder game is going to drop everything to pick this up right away. Anyway, that's true. That's true. You got all the time in the world, my friend. Right. Absolutely. 
Um, so let's uh, let's kind of jump into a few other things here. We were looking at Reddit, and one thing that seemed kind of interesting was a religion based on drugs. It's a question somebody asked. <laughs> and I like this, it is the, this is the Pathfinder subreddit here. So we, uh, we, we looked up some of the official drugs in Pathfinder, and we're going to kind of answer this question a little bit. So Black Death 47 says, I have a player that wants to set up a religion that revolves around drug use. And reading the drug addiction rules, I'd say that would be pretty short-lived due to them dying on con damage, if nothing else. Any ideas on how to make this work without just hand-waving the negative part of drug use away? And as we were looking at drugs in the uh, in the Pathfinder, we came up with what? Do you remember what it was? I think it was a uh, midnight milk. It was midnight. That's right, midnight milk. And we chose this one because its penalties weren't absolutely horrible. No, oh, yeah, very, and, very livable. I think. Yeah, it looks like uh, you're. It's just one d two wisdom damage. So damage is healable. Not a big deal. It's not like it's permanent. Exactly. And effects are fit for one hour fatigue plus the user takes a negative four penalty on all saving throws made to resist sleep effects. And if the user falls asleep while under the effects of midnight milk, they dream vividly. These dreams last for one hour per dose of midnight milk taken in the past month, including this one. And upon awakening, the user is revitalized if he had enjoyed a full eight hours of sleep. That's super cool because it, it is. It reminds me of the video game Far Cry Five, where okay. they had because it's kind of the same idea where they got this like psych, psychedelic drug that they're pushing as their religion. Like, oh, we're getting these visions because of this that I gave you. I'm your Messiah, sort of thing. Oh, and this okay. drug here is the is is a great way to make that same kind of feel happen. You take sure. it, you fall asleep, you have these vivid dreams, and you can totally equate that. Like, oh, man, it's because my God, my true God was talking to me. The right. midnight milker. <laughs> right, right. Um, I, I, I don't need. Damn it, potato. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, the addiction for midnight milk is moderate, and it's a fortitude. DC of 16. Yes, D yep, 16. So, it, so it's not the worst thing. No, not at all. And I mean, it's one of those things where you can storytell it where it is, like we said, psychedelic effects in their dreams because they're so vivid and they wake up feeling revitalized. Why wouldn't somebody be addicted to this stuff? Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I know we've talked a hard night on the job. I wouldn't take some midnight milk. <laughs> Right. It <laughs> uh, helps me get to sleep. Uh, I know that kind of we've talked about the idea of adding some of these more adult themes into tabletop RPG games. And I think Midnight Milk is a way to really help bring in something like drug use and addiction without being overly uh, realistic or triggering. Exactly. Exactly. Because you, you hear Midnight Milk, you're not going to think, oh, well, this is obviously opium or crack cocaine no no it, it feels fantasy enough to where you have the disconnect and it's not going to make you think you know oh man this is this is bad i'm not going to do it you're going to enjoy it and be like oh no now i'm addicted oh no roll your save <laughs> right 
it, um, it feels like you're gonna have fun with it instead of being triggered yeah yeah i i think so too and i think that's also part of uh our particular style true true everyone plays differently yes yes um want to talk about the experimental midnight milk no that one doesn't seem like the like that's i don't i understand why it's there but damn it we're already talking about it sure (laughs) so with with a lower dc save um you take one a minute for two minutes so it's two dc 14 saves and initially you're fatigued for an hour and if you fall unconscious after you fail a save, it's two D four hours plus a nightmare. Um, the, the nightmare seems to last for years and you're exhausted upon waking up. Yeah. This to me, my, my, my perception of if we're trying to make this a religion, this is what they would give the followers who are not being as devout as like a punishment. I could see that. I could also see somebody who they would give this to their very first initiates. Yeah, yeah, I can see that too. I can, you know, or, or or even like a a separate like cult that's like bastardizing the original, and this is oh, what they're getting as a result of it. Oh, that's that, or turn it into uh, the pro midnight milk cult is totally. Uh, giving this experimental midnight milk to another small sect so they can make them out to be the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like a patsy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, now, now we're turning this into an entirely new subplot for something. Uh, <laughs> when, when all in reality, um, black death was just, you know, how to make it work without hand waving the negative parts of drug use away. And I think that the big thing here is you don't hand wave the drug use negative parts away. Um, you just you deal with them, and as they come, they they come, and right. you choose you choose something where if you're going to use strict game mechanics that doesn't have a horribly high DC save, um, something that's not going to constantly attack them for um, ridiculous damage. For example, the moderate addiction is you have to make the save once a day. And you take a negative two penalty to con and strength. That's not a not damage to your score. That's just a penalty. And that's the right. target, yeah, the target cannot naturally heal ability damage caused by the drugs that cause the addiction. So that negative two points of ability, uh, I'm sorry, that one d two wisdom damage. Um, while it doesn't heal naturally, like I said, it's not a huge deal. Um, Moderate addiction is cured with three consecutive saves. Right. And that could be done with anybody. Right. You know, the, uh, there's several diseases that have the same mechanic, you know, three consecutive saves and you're good. scot free. Right. So as long as you're looking at the ability to cure your addiction, then you take that, that format right there essentially and yeah. figure out the best way to design a, uh, a drug related cult. Yeah, I, I feel the key thing is to keep the consequences, and that's going to yeah. help dictate what the players are going to do. If they're going to overly abuse it or use it uh, more, I don't know, 
realistically that that's the right way to say it like moderation <laughs> yeah stuff like that now thinking um wisdom is your character's um common sense their ability to uh, have willpower awareness intuition yeah and and really if you have like a one wisdom you just be a, a dummy a, a complete yeah. luke dummy yeah and, almost mindless yeah i i would say if you're gonna base a religion off of something where you go that route having all a bunch of dummies who like to sit around and sleep all the time is a perfect perfect example i'm i'm putting this in the game potato i, I really like it i'm, I'm gonna put it in my game too whenever i run <laughs> nice all of a sudden, we're going to have milk-addicted druggies. <laughs> Milkers, they're called. <laughs> I like that. Milkers. All right. Uh, so somebody else talks about looking how to keep their uh, a late game adventure fun. And this bro is talking about, uh, what's his name? Dragon Imma. Talking about how he's got a first edition Pathfinder game, and he's noticed that since hitting level 13, everybody is blowing through combat and it's kind of boring. Ah, uh, so. gotcha. Yeah, that's, that's, you, that's an easy fallout, or yes. yeah, that's an easy fallout you can fall into for sure. It is. And what's your favorite fix for that potato? Uh, add eight to everything. That's right, just add eight, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Add exactly. Eight. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is one of those things because the question constantly comes up to is how do you make things difficult? How do you make sure it's not too difficult? How do you balance your encounters? How do you how do you blah 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 blah? I'm a new GM and I can I just don't know what to do but bitch. Right, so, right. I, it's basically saying I don't know how to fly off the cuff. I only know what the book tells me to do, and I'm concerned. <laughs> right. Right. And at higher levels, it's harder to do this, but you have to make your players spend their resources. Exactly. And I just not always money resources, but they have to use spell the majority slots. of that. Yeah. Best spell slots. They have to use up a lot of their rage ability or they have to have minimal time between raging. Right. You, you use you know, up their, their daily abilities, use up their, yeah. their wands and potions Use yep. use up what they have on their character sheet, and they're going to be noticing. Oh man, this is getting a lot tougher. <laughs> yes, and it's actually easier to do as your players get higher in level by taking them out with smaller minions, because yes, um, a lot of times you you'll use all your low level spells. For example, um, you just burn through them. You're like, oh, I got nine of these, and this is right. what I need to get the job done. And then all of a sudden, when you're out of low-level spells and your powerful spells still aren't quite kicking it because you have two of them, it's it can get a little difficult. Exactly. And then you're also got to look at things like traps. Those can help alleviate player resources. Oh, heck yeah. Um, in fact, one one thing that a lot of people don't really do to their players is pickpocket and 
if you're walking through a crowded area, you can have NPC characters pickpocket your players. It's not a popular thing to do, so I don't suggest do it all the time. True, um, true. It could definitely uh, cause some mayhem on the table. <laughs> right, right. Um, but the idea is really to do things to help get resources out of your players so when they go up against bigger challenges, they do not have those resources. Yes, yes. I think a, a good good thing to do as well, if you're running a session and you've done an encounter and you've noticed that the players are kind of not being cocky, but they're they're spending their slots and whatnot. They're they're just throwing everything at this encounter, thinking, "Oh, we'll get another rest in a little bit. We'll be fine." And then you can right. think to yourself, "Yeah, you're not going to get another rest before the end of the session. I'm going to throw another encounter." And let's just see how you roll. <laughs> I already right. spent all my fireballs. Oh no! And then now, now they're they're panicking. They're being more strategic. They're talking to each other between each and each uh, turn. So yep. that's definitely a good way to do it too. Oh, absolutely agree. And you know, I'll say that we got my biweekly Friday game that we play, and I have actually been going rather light on most of my players. Yes, you have. I, I've noticed that, and I, as much as I appreciate it, I'm just waiting for the storm. <laughs> uh, so, I guess to give it a little bit away here, tomorrow is our next game, and it's going to be a pivotal point in the game. Oh, because, you got some gears going, huh? Yes, it's going to be one of the one of the instances that help define who each of the characters really are. Um, and it's, it's going to be both heavy for story and heavy for some, uh, some of the individual players themselves. Scale to one in 10, how many players do you think is going to die? Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Remember, I don't like to kill my players, so I try not, I try not to. Uh, there's all like, there's generally a story reason for people to back off and leave you guys at the edge of death. Right, I, I feel that's definitely the best way to do it. If it's the story, then it doesn't feel like a complete cop-out, um, especially right. if it's all the way around. Like, my character died of the most unseen circumstance. Well, that's because of what I did in the story, not because I, you know, someone fudged a role against me. Right, right. Now, speaking of that character, have you been working on his return yet? Uh, honestly, because I've been trying to pump out characters for the podcast, I kind of put them on the back burner. And also because I want to role play as uh, my new guy some more. I really want to get sure. into his boots better. Sure. When you gonna, it, it's going to happen. Backstory. Good. Good. Backstory for my rando. Yeah. I, I sent you the backstory already. I don't remember it. Uh, I can resend it to you. Yeah. Could you do me? Could you do that for me before tomorrow? Oh yeah, for before, sure. <laughs> before game tomorrow, yeah, I can tell you definitely do that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I like how we're conducting personal business real quick. <laughs> uh, you uh, you mentioned some character spotlight. Um, that's kind of what's holding you up from not creating that other character. But this week is a monster spotlight, isn't it? No, that was the last episode. We it did Amut. I remember that now. It's. Sometimes the weeks blur together when you're not at work. I miss you. 
<laughs> I miss you too, buddy. <laughs> All right. So uh, character spotlight. Is this the one that I've seen that you posted on the website already? I have not posted it yet. No, I so will be posting it on Monday or Tuesday. Okay. Well, let me head over to the website real quick. EpicTableGames.com because I want to. The Firemire Sorceress. That's your old one, right? Yeah, oh, that was the last. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what do you have for us today? Now, this one, I think, has is the most controversial build. Because, one, it's a gunslinger. So okay. already, it's like, you know, a bit taboo-ish. Depends on your campaign setting and your DM and whatnot. Yeah. He has a, he has a nice little quirk about him that I really want to uh, dive into. So okay. this, this guy... Um, thematically what i'm imagining uh for at least a little bit of a story element is that he is a master engineer and one of the first developers of firearms um of the of the world setting sort of deal but he's also a fanatic he's kind of crazy so we're talking fifth level gunslinger and 10th level uh gun chemist okay yeah, so so let's talk about the gunslinger side real quick. Um, this guy is a bit more of a heavy set man, and he also wants to be fully protected. So he okay. picked up the archetype gun tank. Okay. Now, what that allows you to do is that you can now wield uh, shields, like a tower shield, and you can have heavy armor which is a thing that not a whole lot of gunslingers are usually capable of doing. Right. Um, He's a rifle gunman, of course. Um, Now I've, I've kind of, I've kind of made it where at least at fifth level, the build I had in mind can fully start. Um, Because usually at level five gunslinger, you get your, your uh, decks to damage. But that got pushed down a little bit because of the gun chemist. Okay. Uh, Because the very first alchemist uh, discovery, he will be getting a vestigial arm. That third arm is going to be holding on to the tower shield. So then he can use his rifle unabated. So does that third arm allow him to hold a tower shield? Yes. The third arm is capable of holding on to a tower shield. Okay, so this essentially um, human race? Yes, human, yep. So we're not totally concealed, but we have pretty good cover. Yeah, yeah, and okay. the, the, the main idea of this build is being able to hit people easily, but not get hit at all, and setting up your own cover so you don't have to worry about the environment. Because you can plant like the tower game. shield, and then the edge of your square, that's now known as total cover. Right. And also, if you have a, uh, a culverin, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, uh, excuse me, but it's, the, it's like the cannon from a ship, but in a more handheld <laughs> fashion. You okay. can actually use a tower shield to prop it up so you don't get a penalty to its unwieldy uh, weight. So it's nice. another added plus. If you want to go down that route. Um, right. I went with, uh, I actually did a couple builds with this and I'll be posting them on the website as well for early, 
uh, firearms and advanced firearms. But I'm not going to go into modern. No, no LMGs. No AK-47s. No, no, no. Um, but yeah, a, a culverin, the big cannon, that's actually viable for this build, and it's it's really neat idea. Really neat. Nice. It sounds interesting. Oh, another added uh, thing here I want to talk about as well. Uh, because of the alchemist side, he has a special ability called Alchemical Ordnance. Yeah. What it does is that it replaces the alchemist's bomb ability and basically transfers that into the bullets. So okay. you can inf- infuse a bullet and it can do extra 1d6 plus your intelligence modifier of fire damage. And that scales every odd level. So when you get to level uh, 14 overall, it'd be having a plus 5d6 on top of the weapon's normal damage. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that, yeah, that, we talked about something like that briefly, where ways to increase your damage dice are paramount in order to deal massive amounts of damage. Yes, and th- this guy can do it. Sure, you have to get pretty high in level, but I feel everyone would be doing relatively same numbers, like a Paladin Smite at that same level, probably doing the same amount of damage, maybe. About-ish, it seems like it makes sense to do that. Just running by what we know off the game, yeah, I'd say yeah. so. And, and at first I thought, well, it sucks that it replaces bombs, because I think having a bomb would be pretty cool to have too, but... There's also a alchemist uh, discovery called exploding bullet. So mm-hmm. now if you hit someone with a direct hit, that then does splash damage as if you threw the bomb. So five yep. foot radius around him, you can hit more people for minimum damage. And that's that's yep. just chef's kiss. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I dig that. And it sounds like the build has been thoroughly worked out. I mean, you put everything together to really play off of itself. And as you get higher in levels, it works. It definitely works. I feel the the suckiest thing about this build is the uh, rapid reload. Because usually for any ranged-based character, you're going to get rapid reload pretty quickly, especially for a gunslinger. You kind of want that right off the bat. Now, in-game, you could get it early, and then when you get down the line, you could retrain it because at a... what, What level is it? It is a level six. So a level six alchemist gets rapid reload for free okay. but with our current build that sets us up at character level 11 oh wow yeah so it kind of pushes that that a little bit too far when you get to level 11 it's like finally i get rapid reload you know that's right yeah now i know gunslingers have a chance to break their firearm that's right the misfire chance Yes. Do you happen to have a way to avoid or abate that as much as possible? Yeah, so you'd be using alchemical cartridges. Would okay. it'll help with your reloading, but actually will make the misfire chance higher. But uh, there's also deeds that will help with the misfire chance. I do so believe. I may be wrong on that, to be honest. Okay. Um, but you can also make the gun reliable. And that will help with the misfire. That will help with it not exploding if it gets broken. Um, honestly, though, when I was building this, misfire chance was not an issue for me. Um, okay. Especially using the culverin, to my understanding, they don't really have a misfire chance. I could be wrong. All right. All right. 
All right. So right now it's actually sounding pretty decent. Using a bigger weapon would be a little unwieldy trying to just carry it around in general. Um, yeah. But it, remi- it reminds me of a scene from Darkness Rising, which was an independent D&D film a while back, uh, where they wanted to sneak attack with um, a ballista. Oh, yeah. You showed me that video. That was great. Yes, uh, it's 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 absolutely hilarious. And based on the rules raw, I'm pretty sure that in this scenario, you can also sneak attack with a goddamn cannon. I don't see why not. <laughs> you know what? Screw it. it. Games are ridiculous anyway. I like to have fun. I, I would let you do it. Awesome. Awesome. Oh. Would you let it, me bring it, this character into uh, our Friday game? <laughs> I, I'd have to take a little bit bigger look at him, but definitely not oh, at yeah. the level ever. everybody is else. Everybody else is now versus where you'd be bringing them at. No. Yeah, because what right now we're level eight, correct? Yes. So at level eight for this build, I'll have the two d six alchemical ordnance, and I'll finally get a uh, gun training. So there's that. So you can use your firearm effectively. Yeah, exactly. You know, you got your point blank shot, your precise shot, deadly aim, rapid shot, quick draw, clustered shots, the huge. <laughs> usual. That's that's just it too. You know, I I what I what I like about the gunslinger is there's a lot of flavor there. And the downside is that when you look at damage output, it's so much better to use a compound bow as an archer. Yeah, it, it scales a bit better definitely yeah um but i i I don't generally include gunslingers in my games particularly because they don't fit the theme yeah but usually fantasy settings don't really have high tech equipment like that well i wouldn't even say the high tech equipment it's just that when you think of middle earth you don't think of firearms true true now the culverin that's that's doable enough you took it from a ship (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, I mean, doable, but could you imagine Shooting Legolas? Cannonball. A, oh, oh, Legolas? <laughs> yeah, could you imagine Legolas wielding a cannon instead of a bow and arrow? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, well, right. Another thing is, too, that makes Gunslingers pretty nice is the uh, attacks against Touch AC. No other yeah. weapon, to my understanding, does that. Well, it for the, uh, the Gunslingers particular if you have grit points available. True, true. Yep, that's the caveat. That is true. Yep, but granted, once you hit a certain level, you can actually store grit points in your firearm, and as long as you have one there, you're good to go. Well, you can always pick up a fee, extra grit as well. You know, that's actually two points of grit. Easy peasy. But who's going to want to do that? Considering that with your specific build, I think all your feats are pretty much used anyway. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I could wiggle it in. The The last three feats I chose was just for uh, armor focus, weapon focus, and shield focus. <laughs> that, very okay. basic, but, you know, I could totally well, swap it around for a grip if I really wanted to. That's true. I would say that you couldn't really swap out your armor, not armor, your uh, shield focus, because that's what allows you to focus tower shield, right? You can use that without issue. Well, yeah, already I'm, uh, you'd be proficient with tower shields, but having the shield focus just makes the tower shield better. Just increases the AC by one. That's it. Uh, I mean, yeah, you got to look at that trade-off then if it's just one point. Yeah, yeah. So, 
All right. Not bad. Not bad. I like it. And you said you'll have that posted up by uh, early next week? Yes. Super. Hopefully it's the same time as the other character. I kind of want to make that routine. But it's a little tough with how life is. I I get it. I get it. And I like seeing them up there on the website. So let's uh, let's call it for this, this week. And we'll jump back in next week with hopefully some more interesting stuff to talk about. (laughs) <laughs> yep yep We're, we'll be uh maybe share another story or two you know maybe showcase another game that we've stumbled on yeah and hopefully we'll be back in the studio so we can uh we can actually see each other's reactions a little better this this remote thing is different it, it is it is i think if we were to keep doing this i'll need to get a webcam because not being able to see us making it kind of hard <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely different. So, all right, guys, check us out online at epictablegames.com, and you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash epictablegames. Uh, If you have any questions, search us out on our group or use the forums, and we're always looking forward to seeing you next time. Peace and love, Epic Table Games! That was so late, I thought you just disappeared. Yeah.